Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about the difference between a professional and amateur investor. And uh, this idea to sort of uh, do this podcast and write this blog uh, was really stimulated by a, a blog written by Seth Godin, uh, who is a, a US author, a presenter and entrepreneur. Um, and if any, anyone that knows me knows that I'm a big fan of his work. Uh, and if you have an interest in marketing or business or even just human behavior, I suggest you um, subscribe to his daily blog. It, it's it's not always fantastic, but fantastic more often than not. Uh, and if you just Google Seth blog, uh, it'll come up. Anyway, his recent blog was really about the difference between amateurs and professionals. Um, and uh, I think this t- topic and subject relates perfectly uh, to investors as well. Uh, so if you think about you know, how does an amateur approach investment versus a professional, and so what I've done, and you'll see it in the show notes, is I've taken the time to kind of list some example behaviours of professional investors and example behaviours of amateur investors. So some examples of a professional investor would be, you know, they understand that making investment decisions requires experience, education and understanding the market. It seeks out an expert in their field is willing to pay a fair fee for their advice. Um, we'll have a methodology for hiring, firing professional advisors you know, a clear list of things that they want and want to avoid um, and uh, ensure that these advisors have thorough methodologies. They'll hold their advisors accountable for producing results. They won't try and take on tasks that are outside their sphere of expertise. That's when they'll go and find the right person to give them their that advice. They make investment decisions on a daily basis and they will take almost any st- steps to ensure they don't make a capital loss. You know, that Buffett's first rule of investing is don't lose money. Second rule is refer to rule one. They don't lose money. So that's kind of the hallmarks of what a professional investor looks like. Now, that could be a wealthy individual. It could be a fund manager. Uh, it could be someone that works for an institution. Now, let's um, look at an amateur investor. Typically, an amateur investor has... Uh, no metric or methodology for me- measuring the value of advice. They don't really understand where the value of good quality advice lies. They ask friends and colleagues for advice. They're prepared to have a go and try and do it all themselves. They consider it a saving if they work it all out themselves and therefore don't need to pay for someone else. Uh, pay someone else for their advice. To some extent, they're guided by emotions. You know, either it feels right or they fall in love with the potential returns or they like the particular property, for example. They get seduced by investment returns and don't adequately consider and mitigate investment risks. You know, I often think amateurs are blinded by returns and don't even for a second think about what can go wrong. Uh, And good quality investors will always think about what can go wrong first before they even consider what is the potential upside. Uh, they don't realise the danger of their lack of experience. They make a handful or less of investment decisions over their lifetime. Remember, the professionals making investment decisions daily. Uh, and they're prepared to make a mistake. That is, they'll think, oh, I'll have a go. And if it doesn't work out, then maybe I'll reach out for advice. A professional investor would never do that. Can you imagine 
uh, someone employed going to their boss and saying, oh, look, I stuffed this up because I thought I'd, I'd have a go at it, uh, but it didn't work out, they, they would lose their job. So I thought it was interesting to kind of list out, you know, what does an amateur investor look like? What does a professional investor look like? Because we don't often think about it like this. You know, the interesting thing is that imagine if your friend told you that they did their spouse's dentistry work, you know, or they wrote their own will. I mean, most of us understand that that would just be ridiculous and stupid when we just don't have the skill and understanding to, to do our own dentistry work and we would never, never try it. Instead, in that regard, we reach out to a dentist that, that is well qualified and has possibly been referred to as someone that we get along well with and we trust. And psychologists refer to this as, as conscious incompetence. That is that we know we have a deficit of knowledge and experience and it's too risky to try and do it ourselves. So we consciously know that we're incompetent. Just because you can do your own financial planning, do your own tax return, structure your own loans and so forth, doesn't mean you should. We can do our own dentistry too, it doesn't mean that we should. More importantly, maybe people have really misunderstood their role uh, in managing their own finances. I don't think for most people their role is to figure it out themselves. Really, I think their role is to hire the best people they can afford to help make the smartest possible decisions. That's what we do in other aspects of our lives. If we need a will or we need some dental work or we need some medical work and so forth or we need some tax advice uh, and it equally applies to uh, investments. Now, I hear people saying, that's great, Stuart, but how do you find good quality people? You're putting a lot of trust and faith in them and it could be some time, five, ten years, before you can work out whether they've been right or wrong, whether they're the right or wrong people and whether they're actually going to help you uh, get to where you're going. I think it is inherently difficult if you don't have a methodology for choosing people, selecting the right advisors, that is. Now, I do it in my business. That is, that there's... In the professionals that we utilise to help our clients, buyers, agents, commercial property advisors, lawyers, and so forth. So I have to go out and find the right people that are going to help, that, that I'm going to trust, that, that I can use personally, firstly, and then secondly, that I can refer my clients to that I know they're going to help my clients. And so I think we can take this professional and amateur lens and apply it to selecting the right people. I think that's probably the best thing because in a professional environment, we're going to have a methodology and process for appointing uh, an advisor, finding the right advisor. A, a big corporate is going to have that and it's going to be robust and they know that their key success factor is, lies in their, their people decision. You know, which advisor, which firm do we choose? If they get it right, they win. If they get it wrong, they lose. So really, that's what you need to get good at. That's what you need to have a robust methodology on. And I think there's six things. There's six things that I look for in choosing the right advisor. And the right advisor has to have all six. And there can't be any compromises. So let me take you through those. So the first one is how do they make their money? You know, it's important that I'm working with a business that is strong and sustainable. There's no point working with an absolute low-cost business that doesn't really have a sustainable business model because if I embark on a relationship with them, they might not be around in a couple of years' time to really help me see out the plan or see out the investment. And it sort of ties in with the accountability 
um, uh, point, which I'm going to talk about at number the, the sixth, uh, the sixth uh, consideration that I'm going to talk about in a second. So I want to understand their business model. I want us to understand how they make money, and I want it to make sure that it doesn't contradict with my goals. I want them to make a fair profit, but nothing more and nothing less. Less than a fair profit means they're not sustainable. More than a fair profit means I'm getting ripped off. How they get paid should be nice and transparent, easy to understand. You know, if there's any complexity or opaqueness there, I'm not comfortable. And alignment of goals, that is probably the most perfect alignment would be that they only make money when I make money. That's That's often referred to as a commission. That's often not appropriate. But, you know, I, I want to make sure their guys, goals sorry, aren't contradictory to mine. So how do they make money? Very important to understand. Secondly, is there overwhelming evidence that the results will be good? So, you know, I've written about evidence-based investing before in the past. And essentially, there must be strong evidence that utilising their particular investment methodology or approach will drive quality returns. So there needs to be strong evidence. And in the absence of evidence, there's just too much risk and I'm not willing to take that risk. Number three is, uh, hand in hand with number two, do I understand what's delivered their returns, what's driven their returns? So I need to understand um, the methodology and then really understand those past returns. And I need to ask myself, what has driven them? Is it luck and good timing? Is it the market? Or is it their skill and intellectual property? Is it their IP that's working? And obviously, I'm only going to pay a fee for the latter. I'm only going to pay a fee for their intellectual property, but I need to make sure that I need to marry up the returns with how they've approached it and make sure that's going to work. Number four is longevity. How long have they been in business? There's two reasons why that's important. Uh, firstly, if you've been in business for many decades, years or decades, uh, you've seen it all. You've seen different market conditions, you've seen lots of different client situations, you've seen lots of client problems and challenges, and um, you've learnt from all those experiences, and so you can bring those learnings to your client. Uh, so longevity is important. Uh, and secondly, if you've built a sustainable business, and it, particularly in investment space, you know, if you haven't delivered returns in the long run, you're not going to have client you're not going to keep clients for the long run so you know it provides a a, quite a strong level of social proof proof number five they've got to have exemplary ethics and morals and this might feel like quite a difficult thing to ascertain um, but doesn't mean that it's not important just because it might be difficult to ascertain you still need to focus on it so i only work with good people people that have pride in what they do you know, they, they want to do a good job and they get a real kick out of helping people. People that are honest, open and transparent. You know, they'll always tell you the good, the bad and the ugly. You know, they'll tell you something even if they know you don't really want to hear it and they'll always put their clients first. Um, the only way or the best way, I think, of ascertaining whether a person has exemplary ethics and morals is just look for the signs. Um, quite, sometimes... Uh, if if there's signs uh, in through in their language or actions, even no matter how small that sign is, that contradicts, uh, you know, those exemplary ethics and morals, be concerned, because the right people will never contradict. The right people have a very strong theme um, of trying to do the best, trying to do a good job, trying to do work that they're proud of, and so forth. Um, and and choosing the right people, only working with good people, really critical. 
Okay, number six is they've got to be on the hook. Um, accountability makes a big difference, right? So if I can give someone a bit of advice and then I'm never going to see that person ever again, I'm not really on the hook for the advice because the advice might turn out or it might turn out poorly or it might turn out well, but you know what? I'm not going to be around to take responsibility for it. So, you know, I'm not on the hook. So that's why I think long-term relationships work better. I want my advisor to be on the hook. If my advisor said, go and buy this commercial property or structure your will like this, I want them to be around in 20 or 30 or 40, whatever years it is, when, um, well, the will's a bad example because I'm not going to be around to hold them accountable. But, you know, the investment uh, example is, is a good one. If, you know, buy this investment, 10 years it hasn't worked out, I want them to be on the hook there to sort of answer the questions because if they are they're going to take a lot more pride a lot more responsibility with how they're behaving and they're going to be aligned to my goals which my goals are long term and I want their goals to be long term not short term short term could be oh look I'll just make some money off this client and move on that's a short term approach I want them to be on the hook long longer term so that's really what I would consider a professional methodology for selecting the right people that are going to help you um, build your wealth and make the smartest financial decisions uh, now and well into the future. And so I think it's a good opportunity for us to sit back and go, okay, um, when we when we think about a professional investor and an amateur investor and all the things that I kind of listed out, which side am I sitting closer on? You know, am I acting professionally, that is, I'm trying to find the right people to help me or am I trying to do it all myself um, thinking that, that I can have a go and, you know, if I make a few mistakes, no big deal. Anyway, I hope that's been uh, useful and a bit of food for thought. Uh, as always, if you enjoy the podcast and the blogs, please do share uh, with anyone that you care about. The more people that listen, the, the better it is, uh, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, until next week, bye for now.